Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ, The Planet, every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's subject to change if you're listening to this uh, on a podcast platform. Uh, the show is brought to you by Camp Constitution Radio, which, among all things, runs a week-long family camp, a weekend retreat, and ladies' retreats. And you can learn more about the, these events on our website, campconstitution.net, as well as our Facebook page. And we just added the weekend retreat, which will be taking place not too far from me in beautiful Tuftonboro, New Hampshire, Camp Sentinel. September 30th to October 2nd of 2020, our family camp, July 17th to the 22nd in Singing Hills Christian Camp and Retreat Center in beautiful Plainfield, and we are accepting applications. And if you have any questions about these events or other events, you just go to our website, and there's a place where you can contact us, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And the website is campconstitution.net. Well, last uh, last week, uh, Reverend Kraft, uh, Edith Kraft, and I went up to Arista County, where the home of this radio station is in Monticello. Anyway, we we had we had a chance to speak at a homeschool event, uh, not a homeschool event, I'm sorry, but a homeschool group in beautiful Caribou, Maine. And then we had a an almost an all day event in Holton. We called it Camp Constitution in the County. And the speakers at this event included yours truly, Reverend Kraft, my good friend Jack McCarthy. Uh, Mike Heath was unable to be there physically because his wife was, took ill, but he Skyped in. We also aired a message from Coach Dave Dabemeyer, and it was a good turnout, a good turnout in both events, and we had some good fellowship meeting folks along the way. And when I gave a talk to the group at the homeschool group, uh, I, I give this presentation called Know Your Constitution, and I, the subject of impeachment came up. So I mentioned, I don't remember my, my words verbatim, but I mentioned that um, members of Congress cannot be impeached. Uh, they can be expelled, and the Constitution says that the, the two-thirds of each, each house, uh, the House of the Senate, uh, can uh, can expel a member, and it, it happens. It doesn't happen that often, and there's been a number of them over the years. I think uh, they were the last one. I think was in the early 2000s, uh, and I may have said that they think there was an impeachment of William Blount, who was a senator. He was. They tried to impeach him. The House of Representatives voted to impeach him, but the Senate uh, expelled him, and they rejected the idea of impeaching him. Uh, by a vote of 14 to 11, I think. And this would have been in the late 1700s. William Blount was a signer of the Constitution and later became 
senator, U.S. senator from Tennessee. So I'm going to review this uh, this little article actually that you can find on the Senate um, website. And reason being is that well, Jack McCarthy said that you can indeed impeach a member of the House and Senate. So anyway, uh, January 14, 1799, a signer of the U.S. Constitution, William Blount, became one of Tennessee's first two senators in 1796. A year later, on July 3, 1797, President John Adams notified Congress that his administration had uncovered a conspiracy. See, conspiracies do exist. It's not a theory. Uh, although there are theories that are dealing with conspiracies, but this was a conspiracy. Uh, anyway, to, to continue, spelled out in an incriminating letter involving several American citizens who had offered to assist Great Britain in an improbable scheme to take possession of the Spanish-controlled territories of Louisiana and Florida. Blount was among the named conspirators. Apparently, he had devised a plot to prevent Spain from ceding its territories to France, a transaction that would, that would have depressed the value of his extensive southwest land holdings. With the president's message in hand, the Senate faced a crisis. How to deal with William Blount? Over the next 18 months, in four short sessions, the Senate managed its first case of expulsion and its first impeachment trial. Hearing that his schemes had been discovered, Blount at first planned to leave town, but on July 6, 1797, he complied with an order of the Senate and appeared in the chamber where he was questioned about the letter that revealed his plot. The next day, while the Senate pondered what to do about Blount, the House of Representatives voted to impeach the accused senator the first instance of the House exercising its constitutional impeachment power. And let me mention where you find that power. It's in Article 1 of the Constitution. In Section 2, it's really at the end of Section 2, it says, uh, whatever clause it is, the House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. And let me also point out that a lot of people misconstrue what an impeachment is. An impeachment is like an indictment. There's enough evidence to bring the case forward. It's not a, an expulsion and a re removal itself. It's just a, 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 an indictment. It's, there's enough evidence to suggest that this person may be guilty. Uh, and in Section 3 of Article 1, um, we read, Judgment of in cases of impeachment shall not extend... Uh, oh, no. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments when sitting for that purpose... They shall be on an oath of affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Uh, and judges in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. So, when the Senate, if the Senate votes to uphold or, or finds the person guilty of the impeachable offenses, the only thing the Senate can do is simply remove them from office and they are disqualified from ever holding any federal office again. They could be subject to criminal penalties, but that would be done by the Justice Department. Okay, so to continue reading this article, I'll see where I left off here. Um, 
uh, on January 28, 1798, uh, with Congress meeting for the second session of the Fifth Congress, the House continued with impeachment proceedings, despite the fact that Blount had already been expelled. It approved five articles of impeachment and selected 11 managers to make the case for conviction before the Senate. As the Senate prepared for its first impeachment trial on February 5th, it formally granted to the doorkeeper, James Mathers, the new title of Sergeant at Arms thus empowering him to carry out the Senate's orders. On March 1st, the Senate issued a summons for Blount to appear to face impeachment charges when Congress again convened in December for the third session. Sergeant-at-Arms Mathis traveled to Knoxville, Tennessee, which, of course, was no easy feat back in in the 1700s, uh, to serve the summons. He may have tried to convince Blount to accompany him back to Philadelphia to stand trial, but Blount remained in Tennessee. On September 17, 1798, as the Senate convened as a court of impeachment, Mathers formally reported to the Senate that he had served the summons. But when the sergeant-at-arms called for Blount to appear, to no one's surprise, Blount was nowhere to be seen. In fact, by that time, Blount had been elected to the Tennessee State Senate and was serving as the Speaker of the Senate. House managers questioned if an impeachment trial could be moved forward without the attendance of the impeached official. But the Senate decided to proceed, allowing Blount's attorneys, Alexander James, Dallas, and Jared Ingersoll to appear on his behalf. Blount's attorney stated that the Senate did not have jurisdiction to try the impeached senator, making two distinct arguments. First, they asserted that a senator was not a civil officer with the meaning of the Constitution's impeachment clause. Second, they argued that since Blount had been expelled in July 1797, he was no longer an officer of the government and thus no longer subject to Senate jurisdiction. In January 1799, after three days of exhaustive arguments, the Senate deliberated behind closed doors, then voted on two resolutions. On January 10, 1799, the Senate failed to pass the following resolution by a vote of 11 to 14, so 11 in favor, 14 against, that William Blount was a civil officer of the United States within the meeting of the Constitution of the United States and therefore liable to be impeached by the House of Representatives, that as the Articles of Impeachment charge him with high crimes and misdemeanors, supposed to have been committed while he was a senator of the United States, his plea to dismiss the charges ought to be overruled. On January 11, 1799, the Senate approved the following resolution by a vote of 14 to 11. The court is of opinion that the matter alleged in the plea of the defendant is sufficient in law to show that this court ought not to hold jurisdiction of the said impeachment and that the said impeachment is dismissed. On January 14, 1799, Vice President Thomas Jefferson formally announced the dismissal of the case and brought the trial to an end. It remains unclear on what grounds the Senate based its conclusion as to lack of jurisdiction. Was it because a senator is not a civil officer and cannot be impeached? Or was it that Blount could not be impeached and tried because he had already been expelled? The Senate's dismissal remains too ambiguous to decisively answer either question. Nevertheless, the Senate's action in the Blount case has been interpreted as precedent for determining that a senator cannot be impeached. So it's a little... uh, so I think to conclude with this issue, I think while it's p- possible to impeach a member of Congress, it is unlikely, and ma- mainly because 
that person can be expelled a lot easier, I would think. You still need two-thirds, and with the expelling, you have to have the Senate, uh, the House of Representatives involved, and then the Senate taking it up. So it's possible, and so I I say I stand corrected all these years. I've been saying, no, you can't impeach an elected official, uh, or I I should say in Congress, but you can impeach... um, cabinet members and members of the executive branch. So in Article 2 of the Constitution, where you find information, where you find the, um, where the Congress uh, or the Constitution sets up the the executive branch, um, they do talk about impeachment here. And um, let's see. Let's see where I can find it. in case of a removal of the president from office or, or of his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties, okay, the, the vice president becomes the person in charge. Let's see. Um, president shall be commander-in-chief. Uh, and so Section 4 of Article 2, Section 4, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So the question is, in Article 2, Section 4, is a civil officer also elected? And that probably hasn't been totally settled, but precedent. A precedent isn't a law, but sometimes it seems to be a law, act like a law. Now, there's only been three presidents impeached, and that would be Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been impeached twice. However, uh, we see it was more politically motivated than, uh, and and the second impeachment was a real farce. Uh, the second impeachment, the the uh, justice, the, the um, uh, justice Roberts, Supreme Court justice did not sit in. So it was, he recognized it as a fraud uh, because basically the president was no longer, Donald Trump was no longer president. So you can't expel somebody who's not a city president. Uh, Now, um, many of these folks that have been impeached, I'm going over a list of them. uh, A lot of them resigned prior to them being tried by the Senate. So 20 federal officials have been impeached in U.S. history. And Let's see, I'm going to go over a list of them. Some of them are not really known too well. Most of them were judges. But the first one was William Blount, and I just read that story. The second one was John Pickering. Pickering was a district judge in New Hampshire. This would be a federal district judge. He was impeached in 1803 and convicted by the Senate, among other things, being drunk. Uh, He said, uh, Pickering said, I shall be sober tomorrow. Pickering said at the start of November 1802 hearings, I am now damn drunk. So uh, he was he was removed. And uh, so he was probably the first one to be convicted. So John Pickering, Judge John Pickering, we hear that term sober as a judge, but not always. Samuel Chase was an associate justice on the Supreme Court. He was impeached in March of 04 for arbitrary and oppressive conduct during trials. Chase was ultimately acquitted for the charges. So, so far, we just have that one John Pickering. 
And let's see, James H. Peck. Peck was a district court judge in Tennessee. He was impeached in 1830 on charges of abuse of the contempt power, but was later acquitted. Then we had West, and West is in the direction, West Hughes Humphreys. He was impeached for something that no federal official could find themselves subjected to in modern times, serving simultaneously as a U.S. district judge court in, in Tennessee and as a Confederate judge in the same state at the beginning of the Civil War. Impeached in 1862, Humphreys was subsequently convicted on charges including calls calling for secession from the Union, aiding in armed rebellion, and serving as a Confederate judge. One charge he was not convicted of, confiscating property belonging to President Abraham Lincoln, appointed Tennessee military governor Andrew Johnson, the future president. Uh, then we had Andrew Johnson. Now, he was the first president impeached, and I would say that this was um, another politically charged uh, event. There was a group called the Radical Republicans, and he was, he was, um, it was by one vote that he, he was acquitted. And I think this was a real watershed. I think had he been impeached, we may have lost our Constitution. And that's an interesting story to follow. Um, I'm reading here, President Johnson, one of only three U.S. presidents to be impeached, was famously loathed by many in Congress, so much so that Congress passed a Tenor of Office Act, which curtailed the president's ability to fire members of his own cabinet. Uh, this was that particular bill was no doubt uh, politically charged and also unconstitutional because he impeached it. Johnson went ahead and tried to fire Secretary of War anyway and was subsequently impeached by the House in 1868. He avoided conviction in the Senate by one vote, and the Tenure of Office Act was repealed in its entirety in 1887. Then there was Matthew W. Delahaye, and he was a district judge in Kansas who was impeached in 1863 on charges of intoxication on the bench. He resigned prior to the Senate trial. So a lot of times people resign before and saying, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be found guilty. One of the persons, I believe, was Richard Nixon. Now, a lot of people think Nixon was impeached, but they, they did not formally impeach him, although I believe he may have been impeached. And he did the right thing by resigning. Uh, Clinton should have done that when he was impeached, but he didn't. And it is difficult to get convictions because um, you need uh, two-thirds. Two-thirds is a difficult thing to get to reach. Belknap served as a U.S. Secretary of War when he was impeached in 1876 on charges of criminal disregard for his office and accepting payments in exchange for making official appointments. He was acquitted by the Senate. Then there was Charles Swaney. Blaney was a judge serving the Northern District of Florida. He was impeached in 1904 on charges of abuse of contempt, power, and other misuses of office. He was acquitted by the Senate. Robert W. Archbald, and he happened to be bald. Archbald was associate justice on the U.S. Commerce Court. He was impeached in 1912 for inappropriate business relations with litigants. He was removed from his position, disqualified from holding future office. So he was, I think he was the second one to actually be found guilty. George W. English was a district court in Illinois, wherein he was impeached in April of 1926 on charges of abuse of power. The Senate trial began in late April, but English resigned in November of that year. So another one that resigned prior to being found guilty. He may have been found guilty. Harold Lauterbach, 
was a district judge for the Northern District of California when he was impeached in February of 1933 on charges of favoritism in the appointment of bankruptcy receivers. Lauderback was acquitted by the Senate after a week-long trial in May of that year. Then there's Halstead Ritter. Ritter was a judge for the Southern District of Florida. Oh, that's two in Florida, huh? When he was impeached in 1986 on charges of favoritism in bankruptcy receivers and practicing law as a sitting judge. Ritter was found guilty later that year by the Senate and removed from office. So that's only the third, it looks like. Harry E. Clairborn. Clairborn served as a district court judge of Nevada when he was impeached in 1986 for income tax evasion and of remaining on the bench following criminal conviction. Clairborn was found guilty and removed from office. So it looks like that's the only fourth one. Elsie Hastings. Hastings, who currently serves as a Democrat representative in Florida, was impeached as a district court judge in Southern District of Florida in 1988. Hastings was found guilty and removed from his position the following year. And what's interesting is that uh, even though he was impeached, he was not um, was able to still run for office. Then you have Walter Nixon. Not to be confused with former President Richard Nixon, who resigned before he was impeached, was a district judge in Mississippi when he was impeached on charges of perjury in front of a federal grand jury in 1989. He was found guilty and removed from office that year. And I don't know if he was, was charged criminally. I have to look that up. But of course, Bill Clinton was impeached and he was acquitted. And then Samuel Kent. He was a district court judge in Texas. He was impeached in June of 2009 on charges of sexual assault, obstructing and pending an official proceeding and making false and misleading statements. He resigned later that month. And G. Thomas Porteous, Jr., he was a district judge in Louisiana. And when I say this would be federal district judge, he was impeached on charge of accepting bribes and perjury in 2010. He was found guilty and removed and disqualified from holding future office. And, of course, Donald Trump, which I already mentioned. And I would say he was acquitted and uh, on both, and I think that was seriously politically motivated. What was the first one? He made a phone call to, uh, an, um, to a leader of um, a nation, and he made some inquiries, which was, was his right to do. And the second one, that he somehow was involved in insurrection. Yes, unarmed, uh, the only unarmed insurrection in the history of mankind. There was a million people down there in Washington, and if there was a million people wanted to overthrow, many people could have done some serious damage. What happened was uh, some people smashed the windows. There's some people may have been guilty of trespassing at the very least. There may have been some fights going on. Uh, but as far as an insurrection where there was an attempt to overthrow the government, that's ridiculously absurd. And I'm of the opinion that it was an inside job hatched by anti-Trump people, probably Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who were present inside. And you can see videos of the Capitol Police waving people in. And they used the term the deadly, the deadly um, assault. Well, the only person that died was a was um, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot, an unarmed woman. She was about five foot two. She was a military veteran. She was shot by a Capitol Police officer. She was not posing any threat and shot in cold blood, and he got away scot-free from it. Um, 
it's just it's just an amazing thing and this this uh, inquiry this congressional inquiry a house representative you know it's a kangaroo court uh, i know that tucker carlson i think had has done a documentary on it i don't know if it's been released yet uh, but it is there's thousands of hours of footage from the official footage from people's cell phones and other uh, people videotaping this event and you know you know the vast majority of people there were there just to protest uh, to let their voices be heard many most of whom never even got to the Capitol um, and I had a lot of friends that went down I had a couple of friends that had been been arrested and I think the best they can get them on is criminal trespass on federal property. Well, of course, it's federal property. It's Washington, D.C. Uh, and they're doing their utmost to just to destroy people. Some of these folks have been sitting in prison uh, since January 6th. And the FBI is kicking down doors all over the country of people who may have had some connection or may have known somebody. Uh, so the FBI has been totally politicized by the Democrat and the far left. Uh, once it was a uh, you know an honorable entity, uh, they made mistakes and it was overreach as any entity would do. But now it's almost exclusively run by um, the Democrat Party. It's nothing more than the uh, the you could say it's the SA. Uh, the SA was the arm of the Nazis, the street thugs who beat up their opponents. The FBI might be a little not as uh, vulgar as say the SA. But when they go after, and they don't just knock on the door, they got to come. They got to come with automatic weapons, you know, six o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, and and then batter down your door. And all they do is make a phone call. Hey, can you come down to the office? We have, we have something. Oh, can you? We're looking for this. Oh, you know, we're looking for that. No, they come down with battering rams and put on a big show, and then they tip off the media. The uh, uh, the left-wing media, which is nothing more, again, nothing more than an arm of the Democrat National Committee, and they want to make you humiliate you as best as possible. They did that with Roger Stone. They did that with uh, Rudy Giuliani, and they did it with, I think, in Colorado. It was a mother who was an outspoken um, critic of the local school, and again, they, I think she was in her, maybe it was a grandmother, but anyway, they talk about intimidation. And they get the head of the FBI or head of the Justice Department there. Uh, good grief. Uh, thank God he was never made a U.S. Supreme Court judge. He's lying. He's telling that, oh, no, we're not doing this when they are indeed actually doing it. So anyway, so anyway I, want to, uh, I want to thank my friend Jack McCarthy for sort of, you know, pointing, not sort of, but pointing out that I was incorrect in my, uh, in my statement that uh, impeachments, uh, you cannot impeach a Congress, so a member of Congress. So it's, I suppose it, it, it could be down the road determined that you cannot impeach a member of Congress, but at this point it looks like it's possible. While it hasn't been settled, the law, let's say, hasn't been settled, it is possible to impeach a member of Congress. So, you know, for a number of years uh, on another issue, when it comes to the Second Amendment, in the definition of a militia. Now, the federal law, and I'm not quoting it verbatim, it defines two types of militia. They define the National Guard, and they define uh, the unorganized militia, which I think is something like shall consist of all able-bodied males between 18 and 45. So that was what I would quote, but the law is ridiculously wrong. 
a uh, an unorganized militia really can't exist. And, and I use this analogy. Let's, uh, in fact, I used this analogy Saturday when um, there was a room full of people, and I said, how many people here play baseball, either wiffle ball or softball? And some hands went up. I said, but we, we can't call ourselves a team. We're not a baseball team. We may be a potential team, but we can't call ourselves the holding, you know, the Eurystic County uh, hitmen because we're just a bunch of guys who may have played baseball in some capacity, a little league or wiffle ball or softball league, but that's not a team. And a bunch of guys in a room who all have ARs and may even have had training in that AR, may have been in the military, that's not a militia until it's organized. You need a rank structure. You need uh, to be under some type of uh, discipline. You can't just, okay, hey, there's a, there's, there's a, a gang of uh, Antifa coming on a bus. They may be able to take care of business, but it's not a militia. Uh, so I think it's important to understand our great constitution and aspects of our great constitution and the and the powers that that we have um so it so it is legitimate to um to call for an impeachment of a member of the house although i think it's far easier to demand that he or she be expelled and even easier not to be expelled so much but to be removed so anyway we're running out of time i want to thank you for listening You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff, heard on the WBCQ Radio. And until next week, may God richly bless you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.